Hi everyone, my name is Laura and I will be doing the Bible reading tonight. It comes from Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Hey, Ooh, that's loud. Welcome to church. So good to be here with you. So good to be here in the midst of the vision series. Um, for those of those of you who are like, what's a vision series? It sounds a bit weird. A uh, vision series is this. It's an opportunity for us to look back at what God has done uh, in our place and our time. We do that through testimonies and stories of what God has done in the past year and over the years. Uh, it's to look forward in hope of what God might do, which is what we do with our gift day projects. We're hoping for things, we're praying for things, we're seeking God for things into the future. Uh, but most of all, uh, we look back, we look forward, but most of all, we look up. We lift our eyes to God and see what his mission is, what his story is, what we are on about, that our church, us as a people, might align with what God is doing in this place. So that's what we're doing as a vision series, not a vision of what we're doing on the ground, it's a vision of who is God and who is he to us and what is he doing amongst us. Let me pray and then we'll jump into Matthew 15. Father, you are big and we are small. Thanks for being our Lord of all. Thank you that you see us in our greatest need and you move towards us and you love us and you lead us into life in you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, uh, what do you do when you feel uncomfortable? What do you do when you feel uncomfortable? Particularly when the guy at the front asks you a question and you'd kind of dozed off a bit and you're like, oh, I have to think about it now. What do you do when you feel uncomfortable? Feeling uncomfortable is something we avoid altogether, right? When you feel uncomfortable, immediately our general response is to find ways to not feel uncomfortable anymore, to distract, to avoid, to seek pleasure, to watch Netflix for six hours, to sit in a lovely cafe and drink a nice flat white, to avoid those things that make us feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is inherently bad. In this story that we're looking at tonight, there is a lot of uncomfortableness. There is a lot of moments, there's a lot of moments where all the characters are feeling uncomfortable. As we walk through that, we're going to see something for us, and then we think about mission as we go out. Matthew 15, we feel uncomfortable. Uh, Here's what we're looking at uh, in verses 21-24, disciples uh, feel uncomfortable, uh, disciples' uncomfortable response. And the second part, uh, the Canaanite woman woman's response of faith to the uncomfortable. Let's jump into that first part. Now what's just happened before this, as Jesus has had this massive conflict with the Pharisees, 
Uh, in response to that conflict, out of that, he leaves that place. He withdraws to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, that, that doesn't mean much to us, but it's significant for the disciples. See, Tyre and Sidon is like, um, imagine Jerusalem is Wollongong, where all the good stuff is. Uh, Sydney is uh, where Jesus just was in Gennesaret. Uh, what they've done is now they've gone to the Gold Coast. They've gone as far away from the centre as possible. They've gone to a place in which is prophesied in the Old Testament is the place of pride, where the people that are entire see themselves as God or better than God. For the disciples, that's an incredibly uncomfortable place. They're going to a place that is not like their home. They're going to a place where they're not welcome. They're going to a place they do not know. They're going to a place of discomfort. They are far from the center. They are far from their safe place. Like a balding ranger going out in the sun without a hat or sunscreen, they are uncomfortable in this moment. Who's it, who is it, you? Who's the, Al, you're not celebrating that. Yeah, all right, you celebrate. I'll just live in pain and horror. Uh, and then the story gets more uncomfortable. A Canaanite woman starts screaming at them. That is incredibly uncomfortable. It's screaming and pleading for mercy. Um, the word there in Greek is like a, it's like a, an out, it's a vehement cry. Imagine walking down Crown Street Mall and some random stranger that you don't know starts screaming out for you. That is a weird, uncomfortable moment. There's no need to work out some cultural relevance. It's just weird. Awkward level 10. And then, to add to it, it's not that she's just a regular woman, she's a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites were the people that were in the promised land, in the, in the land that God had given to the Jews. And so for these disciples who were Jewish men, they're looking at that and going, she is one, screaming at us, and two, she's the enemy. She's the one that we helped God kick out of the land so we could have the land. There is nothing about this situation that they like. It is uncomfortable. And then to make it one step more uncomfortable, Jesus doesn't say a word. This is a horrible situation for them. And you've got to ask the question, why? This is not what Jesus normally does. He's pretty good at replying in moments. He's pretty good. He's pretty good on the spot. He's a great up-the-front speaker. He jumps in straight away. He always knows what to say. So it can't be that he doesn't care in this moment. We know that he cares. We read other parts of Matthew's Gospel. We know that he cares. So what is he doing in this moment? Well, the thing is, Jesus is an incredible teacher. And he is using this moment, I think, to teach the disciples. He is giving them a space to act to see what they will do. See, good leaders and teachers, they do this. Rather than always give the answers, always respond, they create space for people they're leading and discipling to have a go. You might have experienced this as a leader. Uh, as a leader you ask a leader a question and they respond with, well, what would you do? How would you respond? Give it a go. I'll look after it if you fail. Jesus is setting them up to see how they will go which is a scary moment for them. Because in the context of where they are, they've just had this argument with the Pharisees where, they, where Jesus has given this line in uh, Matthew 15, 18, if you have your Bibles open there, he says, the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. If your boss says, whatever you say shows me your heart, you freak out about everything you're going to say. 
you get really nervous about what to say. Out of the mouth reveals their heart. In this moment, their heart is going to be revealed through what they say. They are feeling uncomfortable in the context, in the circumstance, in front of an enemy. And so their response reflects that. They say to her, they say to Jesus, not even to her, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Send her away. What a horrible thing to say. It's reflective. I'm not bagging out the disciples. It makes sense, right? Based on where they are, the experience they've had, where they are in this particular place, it makes sense in lots of ways that they would respond this way. But the request is for mercy and their response is separation and isolation. She cries out for compassion and their response is avoidance. Out of the mouth is revealed their hearts and their hearts defile them. And Jesus' response, this just keeps getting weirder and weirder as you go. Jesus' response is even weirder. He answers, it's important, he answers to the disciples, not to the woman, to the disciples. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That seems to make no sense. What does he mean? Does he mean that he's only there to help the people of Israel? Is he not going to help this woman that's crying out, in, uh, crying out for mercy and desperate for help? Is he going to ignore her and move along? But then we know, we've read the rest of the passage, we already know he helps her, so it can't mean that. We also know that he helped the centurion uh, in Matthew 8. So we know that he helps people that aren't from Israel. What does he mean? He has been sent to the lost sheep of Israel to the benefit of everyone. See, God's plan of salvation, God's act is that he has chosen a particular people that he is investing in that would bless the world. As he blesses them, that they would be a blessing to the world. We see that in Genesis 12. So in verse 24, when Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost ship of Israel, he's making a statement to the disciples. He's saying to them, the way you're responding to this, it shows you're the lost sheep of Israel. The way you're responding to this situation with a lack of compassion or lack of care, you are the lost sheep. You are the lost that I have come to save and lead. You are the lost that need help. The disciples, with their context, the history, result in them responding to, Jesus, responding to someone like Jesus doesn't. As we think about ourselves as a church, as a people of God, well, we think about how do we respond to people? How do we respond to people? Next slide. There we go. Now, what in our context or history undermines us being on mission for God? See, for them, their history and their context undermine their ability to be compassionate and caring. What in our context or history undermines us being on mission for God? I'm going to show you a picture or two pictures. It may shock you and horrify you. You can tell by my mocking tone it won't, but it may be a shock. These are our church bathrooms. The male toilet's just there. This is what I received at 11.45 p.m. at the end of June. I've been at work since 8 a.m. All the youth leaders had gone home. I was walking around the building locking up, and I walk into the toilets, and this is what I find. 
my context and my history led to grumpy miles. My first response was absolute fury. Absolute fury. I couldn't believe this was what I had to deal with now. Um, you can't see it, but that, that toilet paper is weed all over. And so I had this epic moment of, I get to clean this tonight. <laughs> I did think maybe I could live for someone else and just forget it happened. I didn't do that. But as I was cleaning it up, uh, I, had to, I went through a long process. Come through my process with me. Uh, my first process, my first thought was, Man, I'm going to ring every leader and find out which kid this was. And that kid is never coming back to youth group. Look at what they did to me. My next thought was, you know, and this, none of this is going to poke me up. This is all making me look bad at the moment. Um, my next thought, though, was uh, this interesting moment of being like, well, that kid was at youth group. They could have been anywhere tonight. They could have been anywhere. It could have been in a far worse situation for them. And I thought about, I thought about who'd preached that night at youth group. It wasn't me. It was one of our youth leaders. We're incredible preachers. We're blessed at our church. God is doing great work in them. And I thought about how, what they'd preached about. And I was like, man, whoever did that heard the gospel tonight. And so, as my arm is deeply seeped with we, I know, you're feeling it, right? Uncomfortable, yeah? As my arm is stinking with wee and I'm moving this, moving this massive roll of toilet paper out to the bins, I rejoice. I rejoice. Rejoice. That kid was a youth group. They heard about Jesus. How incredibly uncomfortable for me but wonderful for the gospel. Wonderful for that kid. I didn't ring the leaders. This might be the first time most leaders are hearing the story, actually. Because I was like, nope, we don't need to know this. And for all the wardens in the room, yes, I thought about different safety processes so it doesn't happen again. It's okay. There's wardens in the room. I know I can see you. It's all right. But they were a youth group. They heard the gospel. May our church be a place where the walls might get knocked down, but people would hear the gospel. I read in this book recently called um, Evangelism as Exiles. Um, it's by a guy, a guy who was a missionary in, um, in Asia. Um, he doesn't describe where he was in Asia, because if he did, um, then people that are friends with him would um, potentially get killed in the country that he was in. He's a missionary for 10-odd um, years, and he comes back to, um, to America... And he has this reflection about uh, culture. There's this reflection about culture as they think about uh, life uh, as Christians in the West. He says, Far too often we're happy and hope-filled people as long as our churches and lives are prospering, as long as we have a seat at the cultural and political table, but it's highly unlikely we'll invite the world, by that it means other races and creeds and lifestyles, around our own kitchen tables. We're of the world, but somehow not in it. What are the things about our context and history that undermine the mission of God? What are the things that make us feel uncomfortable, just like the disciples felt uncomfortable, 
and undermine our compassion, our ability to love and speak into people's lives. Um, this, in the same book, he tells the story of his 11-year-old son. Uh, one day he was, at the, he was in the kitchen and he's washing up uh, and he sees about 100, 100 metres um, out, um, his son, his 11-year-old son is playing on this like dirt hill. Um, and then he's washing up and he looks up and he sees that his son is actually surrounded by a gang. Um, they're called rough uncles. I don't know. Yeah, called rough uncles. Uh, and they have rocks in their hands. And um, he's like, what do I do? Because in the place where they are, if people find out you're Christians, they will hurt you. He's watching his 11-year-old son and he's freaking out. He's very uncomfortable. What does he do? And then he watches as his son is talking to um, the rough uncles, having a conversation with them, and all the rocks are raised, and then all of a sudden they all just drop the rocks and walk away. And his son, just happy as can be, jogs on back to the house. And he's like, what happened? And his son said, well, they came up to me and they asked if I was a Christian, and I said, yes. And they said, well, we're going we're gonna to hurt you, we're going to kill you. And his son, his son said to them, this is gold, so gold, he says, I'm not afraid of you. Because if you kill me, I'm a Christian, so I get to go to heaven anyway. What a beautiful little moment of resilience in the midst of uncomfortableness. A beautiful moment of, in that space, holding tight to Jesus, it was incredibly uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable on mission. Just like the disciples, our mission is undermined by that. Whatever makes us feel uncomfortable undermines our ability to be on mission for God. What is that for you? What is the thing you fear? Is it a fear of offending other people? Is it a fear uh, that you'll be undermining other people? Is it a fear that you'll be left out of things? Is it a fear um, uh, that you'll create enemies? Is it a fear of uncomfortable situations? What is the thing that undermines the mission of God? How do we move forward from that? Jesus gives us a way forward with the Canaanite woman. For us to read that story of the Canaanite woman, we also see the story of someone who is in a very uncomfortable position. The disciples are uncomfortable. The Canaanite woman is also uncomfortable. She's uncomfortable because, well, she's a Canaanite woman and she's talking to someone she cries out to and calls Lord, Son of David. I mean, she's crying out to the enemy. She knows that they're not friends. She knows that their history is not good. She knows this is an uncomfortable situation for her to be in. She also knows that crying out in public is weird. This is uncomfortable for her. She's also uncomfortable because she is suffering terribly. She is in pain. She is fearful. She is uncomfortable because her daughter is demon-possessed. She doesn't know what to do. She has great need. She has great fear. The disciples are uncomfortable, but what she does would be uncomfortable as well. She is crying out in desperation. She is screaming. She is shrieking. Now, to do that, you would have to have so much need or fear from something else in that moment. She calls out to Jesus, calls him Lord three times. She cries out for mercy and help. And Jesus, after answering the disciples, finally turns to her. And again, it's a very uncomfortable response. The woman came and knelt before him. 
Kneeling is a position of submission. It's a physical expression of rulership offering to that person. He replied, this is Jesus, it is not right to take the children's bread out and toss it to the dogs. That's pretty rude, you would think. I mean, either Jesus at this point is intending not to help her or is trying to make a point. He does go on to help her and he's helped other people in the same situation in other parts of Matthew, so it's not that. He seems to be setting up another teaching point for the disciples. He's trying to show them another part of this story. He's not trying to be a jerk. He's trying to set up an opportunity for them to learn something about the beauty of what God is doing. He's setting them up to see the expanding mission of God. He's setting them up to see the compassionate heart of God. He's setting them up to see what God is on about. She replies, yes it is, Lord. Again, with the word of submission. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to a woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed at that moment. And when it says great faith, it's not um, quantity of faith. It's not like you have like cups and you can fill up the faith and you've got a lot of it and you're like, well, you've got a great amount. It's quality of faith. There is a quality about her faith. There is a nature about it that sees Jesus as he truly is. She, she refers to Jesus as Lord. There is a quality about that. We'll get that to in a second. But here's how her story plays out. The Canaanite woman experiences suffering, brokenness and uncomfortableness, seeks out the Lord Jesus, desperately asks for help and God acts. That's how it plays out. Here's how life can play out for us. Us. We experience suffering, brokenness, uncomfortableness and we can go to avoidance, distraction, pleasure replacement and nothing changes. Who here has watched six hours of Netflix and thought, the world is definitely a better place now? Who's scrolled through Instagram for a while and gone, man, I don't know what else is going on, but the world is so much cooler and so much safer now that I've done that. Those things aren't inherently bad at all. I'm frothing on the office for like the third time right now. But nothing changes. The other option is we experience suffering, brokenness, uncomfortableness, and we seek out the Lord Jesus, desperately ask for help, and then God acts. He might change your circumstance like he does with this woman. He also might just change you. He might make you a more peaceful person in a chaotic situation. He might make you a more joyful person in the midst of a devastating situation. He might give you a peace that goes beyond understanding. Philippians chapter 4. He might change you in the circumstance rather than changing your circumstance. We will feel uncomfortable. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? We can avoid, we can distract, we can seek pleasure and safety and things that just give us that moment. Nothing changes. We have an opportunity in those moments to seek out the Lord Jesus to walk with him, to seek him in prayer, to rest in him and see the fruit of the Spirit come to life in us. 
So the woman reveals to us uh, something beautiful about what faith is. Faith, while you're uncomfortable, is seeing the Lord, recognizing who Jesus is as our Lord, as the one we can entrust our lives to. Because he's the one that gives us mercy and help. We seek Jesus in prayer and petition, asking him for help and guidance and leading and work and presence and bearing fruit in our lives and leading us by the Spirit and giving us wisdom we didn't have before, giving us insight that we never had before. We desperately ask for help. She also teaches something about the nature of who we are. Faithful or uncomfortable also means we do see ourselves as dogs. Recognizing in that story as they describe it, as she's talking through it, that dogs, they don't deserve anything, yet they get something. That we receive the mercy and the help and the lordship of Christ, not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, not because we've done anything to achieve it or earned it or receive it, but we are given it generously as an overflow of what God is doing through the people of God. Who Jesus is, how he moves towards us in mercy and help, and where we stand. That is what faith is. Disciples are undermined on mission for God because they are uncomfortable in their context and from their history. The Canaanite woman, being uncomfortable, is, over, is overwhelmed by how much she sees her need for Jesus. So maybe our being on mission for God is undermined when we lose sight of how much we need Jesus. Maybe the answer to mission isn't work harder, just go be brave. Maybe we need to press in and lean into what God is doing in us more. Maybe we need to rest in the Spirit and see what He is opening us to see that we are desperate in need of Jesus in this time and place. Maybe our mission for God is undermined because we lose sight of how much we need Jesus and therefore how much others need Jesus. Sometimes uh, I'm with friends that are not, not yet Christians, and that might be you in this room tonight, and uh, welcome to our church, so good to have you here. Um, and I think they are pretty good people. I don't look at them and go, man, they're so bad, they really need Jesus. I um, had the great joy, uh, this might be ironic, I had the great joy of going uh, trick-or-treating at Halloween. It was so good. Um, for those of you who are freaking out that a pastor went trick-or-treating, Halloween's not inherently evil. Uh, Halloween is a wonderful opportunity where 90% of my uh, child's school was out on the streets and I got to meet, to meet them and be friends with them. I got to go on mission at Halloween. And as I'm walking, uh, two, two dads invited me to go out with them. We took our kids. Uh, one of them non-Christian dad, one of them a Christian dad. As we're walking, I'm trying to think about how do, how do I share Jesus in this moment? I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of creative things of like, Look, there's a ghoul that's like a spirit. You want the Holy Spirit? You know, all those horrible lines. I know, like, I know, I'm with you. It's a, sh- it's a shocker. I'm, yeah, I'm horrendous. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Oh, I know, I'm cringing too. And I was trying to think about them. I'm trying to think about um, where am I leading them to? What, what is their need? And, and the thing is, like, one of the dads is just he's, just, he's not a Christian guy, but he is just a really good guy. I don't go, you're a bad person. What I see in him is, is good things. And then my reflection after this, it was a great night, I've got lots of lollies, that's the end of that story. Um, but uh, my reflection after this was that I was seeing them based on human rules, which is the mistake that Jesus um, accuses the Pharisees of in verse 9 of chapter 15. They worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. And I was seeing uh, these guys based on human rules, whether they're in or out, whether they're good or bad. So the mission of Jesus isn't turning bad people into good people. It's making dead people alive. 
So the mission of Jesus isn't making people more moral, ethical, better citizens of the world. Well, it's making them worshippers from the heart of the Lord that leads them into love and joy and peace and offering love and joy and peace towards others. See, I might not see in myself a need in myself and my non-Christian friends to be like, we're all bad and we should be good. What I do see in myself and in my non-Christian friends, I do see a need for them to receive love and give it. I do see a need for them to receive joy and to give joy. I do see in them a need to receive peace and to give peace. And the more I see my desperate need for Jesus, the more I see other people's desperate need for Jesus, I'm more able and more comfortable with pushing into their lives. It is pushing and gently leading them to Jesus. The danger is I'm more comfortable with arguing about which is the best cafe in Wollongong than I am about sharing how thankful I am for Jesus. I'm not saying our next evangelistic strategy is a crowd of us wandering down Crown Street crying out for Jesus. But maybe our first step, maybe just our first little nudge in being on mission for God as a church is seeking Jesus desperately. Seeking to walk in the Spirit, seeking for God's help that we might be so built up in Him that we would share compassionately with those around us. We would so strongly believe and hold tight to, I need Jesus so much right now. That you would see in others how much they need Jesus too. There's a vision series, we're thinking about our church and who we are and how, what we want to be. May we be a church, a gathering of God's people that recognise what makes us feel uncomfortable on mission for God. That we may see that and recognise that. And in response, rather than distracting, rather than hiding, rather than ignoring, rather than stopping, we desperately seek Jesus. That his spirit would be so at work in us and our need to equip us for mission to those around us. That we would be the needy, pointing other needy people to where we can find help. May we be a church that is desperate in seeking and surrendering to God that he might work in us and in the world around us by his spirit. May we be a church that sees who Jesus is, our Lord. Sees that we need mercy and help and lives in deep thankfulness for the graciousness that he has shown to us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the way you have moved towards us in mercy and grace. Thank you for the way you have led us into life in, in you. And Father, help us to so be built up in your love and your care for us that we, might, we can't but help share that with those around us. May we be so loved that we cannot help but love. May we experience so much peace that we cannot help but share peace. May we first be built in you that we might lead others to you. In Jesus' name, amen.